Go ahead and grab it this morning. We're going to be in a lot of different verses. We're going to start in uh, Psalm 103, verse 19. Um, we have a new president of the United States. I don't know if anyone knows that. Um, don't know how many of you watched the inauguration on Wednesday. Uh, I believe at 12.01, uh, uh, Joe Biden was sworn in. I'm not sure how you're feeling about that. Um, you know, across our nation, some are delighted and uh, some are discouraged or maybe a little bit depressed, feeling maybe a little bit defeated. Uh, here in the Klamath Basin, <coughs> excuse me, i to turn this off for a second. Uh, here in the Klamath Basin, we register about 80% Republican. So we probably have a few people discouraged here, uh, a few more than the rest of the nation uh, percentage-wise. Uh, so I'm not sure uh, how you're doing. But I want to talk about moving forward as a church this morning. I want to talk about moving forward as a church under a new a Biden administration. And, and I want to talk about some of the things from a biblical perspective about what that's going to mean. Now, if you're joining us online or if you're here this morning, uh, I'm going to ask you to listen to the whole sermon. I know that's hard. Sometimes, you know, I watch online and I, I'm looking for something, you know, quick. I want to get it and go. You know what I mean? We're kind of in a impatient people. Some, some of you know what I mean. Uh, I'm, you know, we're in a hurry. And uh, the, the problem with this sermon, if you only listen to part of it, you won't hear my whole heart. And so, you know, if you're watching online, I hope you listen to the whole thing because I don't want you to get part of what I'm going to say. I'm hoping you'll get all of uh, what I see. Last service, no one walked out. It was pretty good. No one threw tomatoes. Um, so, uh, okay, N number one, in order to move forward uh, under a new Biden administration, number one, we have to trust in the sovereignty of God. Okay, that's number one. Now, last Tuesday morning, uh, Cody... And Rachel Baquette here in our church uh, gave uh, the devotional message for our 21 days of prayer and fasting. It was on Tuesday morning, the 19th of January. If you, if you didn't see it on our website, it's worth checking out. But they talked about Generation Z. And a Generation Z is the youngest cohort, <clears throat> excuse me, the youngest generation uh, in, in our nation. We've got the boomers, I'm part of that. We've got the um, Generation X, and then we've got... Uh, the millennials or Generation Y, now we're down to Generation... I don't know if that means the rapture's coming soon or what, but Generation Z, uh, they were born between 1995 and 2014. So they're six, six years old uh, to 26 years old. And many are in our public schools. Uh, some are in junior high, high school, college. They're here in our church in children's ministry or junior high ministry or, you know, the 120 college group uh, on Thursday nights. Now... They're, they're digital natives, okay? So they've always lived with computers and cell phones. It's amazing to me. My grandkids can just, two years old, and they're flipping through my cell phone, you know? And man, they can mess that thing up. But anyway, okay. Do, do you know, I know it's hard, but do you know that their attention span is eight seconds? I mean, eight seconds. If you're a teacher, you don't have long to get their attention. For me as a preacher, you know, it's hopeless. But anyway... Um, eight seconds. Now, 
this is a huge generation, okay? It's the largest cohort of, or demographic in the history of the world. 25% right now of, of the world's population are, are Generation Z. They are classified as the first totally post-Christian cohort or generation ever in the history of the world. In other words, they are being raised in a culture that is non-Christian, uh, non-Christian in its values or in its influence. In other words, we're throwing out the Ten Commandments, throwing out the Bible. They are a, a totally non-Christian uh, culture. And, and because of that, they're growing up outside the church. They're, they're totally biblically illiterate. In other words, they, they don't know the basic Bible stories like David and Goliath or Daniel in the lion's den. They literally don't know what Christmas is all about. They think it's about the new bike under the, uh, 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 under the Christmas tree. They have no idea what the Easter story really is. That's this generation's. And, and, and one of the benefits uh, for this generation is that they're, they're spiritual. They're spiritual seekers. They're looking for truth, but they're not religious. And I love that. Because, uh, you know, I didn't really go up in a, with a religious background. When I got saved, I was so on fire for Jesus. I had a smile on, my smile on my face I couldn't take off. It's like my cheeks hurt. I was so happy to know that God loved me and had a plan for my life. I mean, it was amazing. But because of that, when they get saved, I mean, it's new. It's real. It's alive. And one of the things they're going to bring to the church is new life. Isn't that exciting? New life, new ideas. And we want that. I want that we need them and and could i say they need us they need us as mentors as leaders we have a role to play and as a church we have to keep growing and we have to keep moving forward and that's why the title of this message this morning is moving forward we have to move forward we can't be stuck in, in an old mindset or old regime politically or whatever else. We have to, to, to move forward in our life. So <clears throat> how do we do that? Uh, how do we move forward under a new Biden administration? Number one, we have to trust God's sovereignty. Psalms 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over. What? All. His kingdom rules over all. Did you know that God is sovereign over all? You can't be semi-sovereign. Uh, just like ladies, you can't be semi-pregnant. Either you are or you aren't. Sorry, I hear myself popping. Can you hear me popping? You can't be semi-sovereign. Psalms 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in heaven he does whatever he, he pleases. And by the way, he doesn't have to tell you. He, he's under no obligation to tell you what he's doing <laughs> because he is sovereign over all and it's our responsibility to trust him and to trust that he is good. He is sovereign over all. Job uh, 42, verse 2, uh, the book of Job, if you've read it's amazing, but he says, I know that you can do anything and that no one can stop you. He is sovereign over all. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 
says, uh, the Apostle Paul says about us in Christ, he says, we haven't obtained an inheritance in Christ. I don't know how rich you are. I don't know how rich your family was. But in Christ, you've obtained an inheritance that is richer than the children of Bill Gates. Someone say hallelujah. Uh, it's true. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works everything after the counsel of his will. Do you, do you know that God is working everything after the counsel of his will? Now, notice the word will is singular because there's only one will, and that's God's will. There are a lot of things going on in the world but there is only one will, and God is working everything after the counsel of his will. He created us. He had a plan in mind, and he is working everything in history toward his purpose and his plan because everything is moving after the counsel of his will. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes that's a struggle for me. I mean, sometimes people will say that God is in control, and I go, wait a minute. What about my grandson? By the, this is a fictitious story. This didn't happen to my grandson, but I've talked with people. What about my grandson who was killed in a car accident? Yeah, a drunk driver crossed over the line on graduation night, and he was gone. Please don't tell me that God is in control. Why wasn't he in control of that? That's difficult. It's very hard. You know, one of the things, uh, there's a difference between control in the sense of micromanaging and sovereignty in the sense of all things being conformed to the counsel of his will. God delegated the ability for human beings to make decisions, and we are responsible for our decisions, aren't we? Don't we live with our decisions? And so sometimes people make bad decisions, and it and affects our life greatly. But it's so important to understand that in spite of that, God is sovereign over all. God's will is wide enough to allow Satan to rebel in heaven and take a third of the angels with him when he was cast down on the earth. That's how wide and powerful God is to allow that kind of rebellion to happen against him and still be in control. Maybe I'll move it down. Brian, help, help me out a little bit. I'm going to to get this where it's not popping with my uh, breath all the time. So um, God's, God's will is, is wide enough to allow Adam and Eve to rebel in the garden. He allowed his creation to rebel against him, understanding where that would go, that was sin would enter the world, and that death would be a result of it, that the weather creation would be affected by it. There would be hurricanes and tornadoes all those things, and yet God is powerful enough to realize that he can move all things in conformity with the purpose of his will. He's sovereign. God's will is wide enough to allow thousands of Hebrew children to be murdered and drowned in the Nile River. Back in Exodus chapter 1, verse 2, his will is wide enough to allow wicked men to torture and execute his son on the cross. It says in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 23 through 24, uh, the apostle Peter is now preaching uh, from the temple uh, steps on the day of Pentecost. And, and verse uh, 23 says, um, 
This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's predetermined uh, and deliberate plan. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Uh, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, uh, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God's will is wide enough to allow wicked men to torture and execute his son, but it's powerful enough in the process to crush Satan's head. And it's powerful enough, regardless of what takes place throughout history, uh, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God works all things together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. One of the things that we can trust, even though we live in a fallen world, and it's crazy sometimes, and it's very discouraging sometimes. I, I talked with a family yesterday who were, who were losing a grandparent to COVID, and uh, it's, it's, it's devastating. Not that old, actually, uh, in his late 60s. And that's part of the world we're living in. But it's tremendous comfort to know in spite of the fallenness of this world, we can trust the goodness of God to work all things after the counsel of his will. And by the way, this life is not the end. So that even when we lose life, there's a destiny for us in heaven for all eternity uh, with the person of Jesus Christ. Could someone say hallelujah? I mean, that's the hope we have when we see small children die, when we, we see some of the devastation that takes place in the world. That's the hope we have. This life is not all there is. God is working all things after the counsel of his will, and, and, and there is heaven for all eternity where God will continue to rule and reign. And by the way, the, heaven is going to be so far beyond the earth that nothing can compare with what God is going to do. We need to trust God's sovereignty. Now, on November 3rd, Election Day, I don't know if any of you uh, watched uh, the Electoral College. About 9 o'clock on Tuesday night, November 3rd, it looked like things were pretty even, and all of a sudden it began to change. Can you imagine God up in heaven going, Oh, no! We're losing Pennsylvania! And Nevada! And Georgia! What are we going to do? My point is there's no panic in heaven. God has a plan. He'll work it out. He is sovereign over all, and we can trust him. And that's the first thing in coming underneath a new Biden administration as a church. We need to trust that God is sovereign. He's got a plan. Number two, uh, we need to pray. In order to move forward... Anything that happens in your life in a negative way, if it's discouraging you or defeating to you, you need to know that the first thing you got to do is pray. The way you deal with hurt and bitterness in your life is to pray for the person who hurt you so that you can get rid of the poison of the bitterness. Prayer, so important. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, And thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
So important for us to pray for those who are in authority over us. If you're an employee, if you're a school teacher, uh, whoever you are, wherever you work, it's so important to pray for, pray for people in authority over you. And you know when you do, it says verse 3, this pleases God. Now, I was up pretty early this morning, about 4.45. I was kneeling down to pray, and uh, I thought of this verse. And I thought of God with a big smile on his face. Now, I don't know if you use your imagination when you pray or when you worship, but it's so helpful because the meditation of your heart is what directs your feelings and your thoughts and your values. If you spend your time watching TV all the time or you're online all the time, that is dictating your moods and your emotions. But when you close your eyes and you meditate on the goodness of God and, and, and you think, this pleases God. When I'm praying, what I'm doing is, is pleasing to God. And I just, I just thought about that for a moment, that this pleases God. Now, I don't know about you. I go back a few years, but I prayed for, I hate to say this, Gerald Ford when he was president of the United States. I prayed for Jimmy Carter. Some of you are going, who's that? I prayed for Ronald Reagan, the Reagan years. I, I prayed for both Bushes, uh, uh, younger and older. I prayed for Bill Clinton, that whole ordeal in the Oval Office. I, I prayed for uh, Barack Obama for eight years. I prayed for Donald Trump. I prayed that he'd find Jesus. There were times where I prayed for Donald Trump that he'd apologize for some of the brashness and rudeness that he communicated uh, to, to people. It wasn't that I didn't believe in things he stood for, but just the way he presented it made it really, really hard sometimes uh, for me to fully follow him. So I prayed for him all the time. I, I prayed for, and I will pray for Joe Biden. I've been praying. Uh, Kamala Harris. Because this pleases God. Now what should you pray for? Pray for salvation, number one. Because it says right there in verse four, God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So so pray for salvation. Pray for wise counsel. If you've ever been a leader, you're forced with a lot of decisions from both sides all the time. You're feeling pressure. And those who counsel a leader are really important. So pray for godly leadership to, to communicate righteous truths to those who are in leadership of our nation. Uh, pray, pray for um, health. Pray for a family. Pray for kids and grandkids. They've got, they've got kids and grandkids. Probably Joe Biden, great-grandkids. I don't know. Uh, you know. Uh, it, it, the Apostle Paul says, pray that we can live quiet, peaceful lives in all godliness and holiness. Basically, I think what he's saying is, pray that government will leave us alone. Let us live out our faith. Let us love our families. Let us love God and love people. Don't mess with our businesses. Let us just run them. Stay out of our lives. We'll be fine. I don't know if you would say amen to that, but that's a good prayer. Okay? Paul, Paul wrote these words when Nero was ruler in Rome. He was the most notoriously evil dictator ever in the history of the world. He murdered close members of his family. In fact, there was a saying back then, you're safer to be a pig than a member of Nero's family because he murdered two of his wives, murdered some of his kids. He was very jealous, and if anyone got any fame, he immediately was concerned about losing his, his place in people's uh, lives, and he just, he just had them 
murdered. He tortured Christians. He lit them on fire in this courtyard outside of the palace. He literally, like a candle, uh, burnt them at the stake. He beheaded the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul asked the church around the world to pray for him. Uh, and, and Paul wrote this verse in Romans 13, verse 1. Uh, during uh, his rule and his reign, he, he said to the church, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. You know, we don't always agree with uh, where authority is trying to go, whether it's the workplace, here in our own community, our own state, or even our nation, but it's important that we pray. So moving forward, we got to trust sovereignty of God. We have to pray for those in leadership. Number three, we have to prepare for changes that are coming. And they are coming. And they're coming more rapidly than they were before. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, the Apostle Paul says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. I think all of us know the last days have been going on for a long time. Okay, on the day of Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, Holy Spirit's poured out. Peter, he quotes uh, Joel. He, he says, God said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. He, he announced the last days, and we've been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. But there are times in the Bible where it talks about the last days of the last days. Okay, so, and that's kind of the reference here in 2 Timothy verse 3. Now, what's interesting is, is the word terrible times. That phrase in the Greek language, it's only used twice. Here in 2 Timothy 3 and in Matthew chapter 8 verse 28. And in Matthew 8, 28, it refers to a demon-possessed man who has thrown off all restraint. Uh, the culture is having a hard time uh, controlling him. Uh, he's in chains. Uh, some of you are familiar with the story of the demoniac uh, of, of, the, of the Gerizines. He's very violent, very dangerous. And, and, and that's this word describing that person. And, and so uh, one Bible scholar uh, used that picture in translating this verse. Let me read it to you. 2 Timothy uh, 3, 1, and uh, a specific translation. He says, Savage... <coughs> try this again he says savage times will come in the last days as people will cast off all moral restraint and society will begin to disintegrate casting off all moral restraint does that sound like the world we're living in today casting off all moral restraint I don't know about you but when I begin to see what's going on it just seems like that's the direction we're moving. People are casting off all moral restraint. We live in a culture, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but we, we're living in a culture where people want to decide their own gender. Okay, rather than trusting God to look at you in your mother's womb and decide, she's going to be a beautiful woman of God, and I'm going to create her to be a beautiful woman of God, or, or look at you in your mother's womb and say, he's going to be a man of God, and I'm going to make him a mighty man of God. See, Gender is not our choice. God made us male and female, and yet we live in a culture that wants to cast off restraint. Now, we think it's leading to freedom, but can I tell you, it's leading to bondage. 
It's leading to bondage and it's leading to regrets. It's re leading to shame, depression, and ultimately in many cases suicide because people are trying to live out a life that God didn't intend for them. It's going to rob their peace. It's going to rob their joy. And yet our society thinks it's going to give us freedom. And, and that's not where we're headed. We live in a world where marriage is no longer between a man and a woman, uh, but marriage is however we define it. And uh, we live in a world where uh, you're free to kill an unborn child uh, re regardless of the time in the womb or regardless of the reason. I, I know that sounded extreme, but I'm going to talk about that uh, a little bit more in a few minutes. Now, one theologian has described how a moral revolution happens in a country, okay? Three steps. Here's step one. Step one. What was once celebrated is now condemned. Okay, step two. What was once condemned is now celebrated. I noticed that a couple of years ago when a certain individuals who had, you know, transgender or whatever, that had changed uh, who they were, all of a sudden, they were being celebrated. They were seen as leaders and influencers in our nation. And I thought, wow, the things we used to think were evil are now good, and they're being celebrated uh, in our nation. The third step, those who refuse to celebrate are condemned. And that, I, I want to tell you, is where this administration is headed in our nation. They are going to push us toward a different place. Now, we've been moving a direction for a long time. What was once celebrated is now condemned. We've been going there for a long time. What was once condemned is now celebrated. We saw that a few years ago. Those who refuse to celebrate are being condemned, and that's the time we're living in right now. Now, what was unthinkable a few uh, decades ago, uh, now it's welcome in our culture and exalted in our nation, and those things that were virtues like a marriage between a man and a woman for you know, 50 years or whatever else, they're now seen as evil. Uh, those who refuse to celebrate this change in culture are condemned, they're narrow-minded, they're bigoted, and they're hateful. And we're witnessing that today. The problem for you and for me is when you live in a culture that's celebrating evil and you're part of the body of Christ that is resisting evil, there's going to be a conflict. The sparks are going to fly. Okay, John 16, 33 says, in this world you will have tribulation. Jesus said, but be a good cheer, I've overcome the world. So we're going to have tribulation. The word tribulation literally means pressure or friction. And that's where we're headed. And we're going to see it in our schools. We're going to see it up at OIT. We're going to see it all throughout society, there's going to be friction and we need to not be surprised. We need to know what's happening and we need to be prepared uh, for what's coming. Now, uh, this isn't intended to be a, a, a partisan sermon. But I think it's okay for me to say some things that have been clearly stated by this new administration that's coming into leadership in our nation because they've declared them to the world. And, and so because of that, I'm simply speaking the truth in, in regard to, to what they've said. First of all, this administration has been really clear 
about the issue of gender fluidity. That's what it's called now. We try to, we, we try to sophisticate different areas of rebellion and sin by calling them different names. And now transgender is called gender fluidity. I guess you can flow into being a woman and then flow out. <laughs> and I, I, don't, I don't know. It just depends on the day or the mood or what clothes you have in your closet. But anyway, um, but I'm being facetious and I want to apologize. Because gender confusion is a real thing. It, it really is a real thing. There are people already struggling with it deep within the core of who they are. But here's the sad part. We got, we got fifth grade kids that are struggling about whether or not they're a boy or a girl. And the school hides it from the parents. So they have one name at school and another name at home. And, 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 and that creates tremendous shame, guilt, and confusion in the life of that young child. And yet it's what's being promoted by our, our, our new administration uh, in, in, in society. This administration believes that you have the right to pick your gender regardless of your age and you don't have to tell your parents. They're moving very aggress aggressively toward that end. I don't know if you noticed two weeks ago, uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, passed a rule for the House of Representatives. No longer on the floor of the House of Representatives can you use gender-specific language, okay? You can't talk about men or women, husbands or wives, boys or girls, mothers or fathers. You have to use gender-inclusive language, people, siblings, parents, they instead of he or, 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 or whatever. Okay, now that was unthinkable. Unthinkable just a few years ago. And now our culture is celebrating it. And, and now that it's passed in our House of Representatives, it, it's going to move to our state and it's going to move to OIT. It's going to move to the school where you teach because it's going to be forced now, here's what frustrates me, and forgive me if I get in the flesh here. I think it's okay to have holy frustration. You can stand up on Inauguration Day and talk about leading our nation in peace, bringing unity again, but to our new administration, peace means your conformity to their plan. And it will be forced on you, taking away your human dignity and your God-given right. Now, our nation was founded on the fact that God gave us unalienable rights. But our new administration is aimed at changing how our Constitution is written so that the majority rules what is right and what is wrong. Therefore, your own individual vote and your own individual voice no longer matters. What country are we talking about here now? It's just shocking to me how quickly things are moving in a direction. So it doesn't change the fact that I don't trust God's sovereignty. I have to trust the sovereignty of God. And by the way, I have to pray. <laughs> but I have to be prepared uh, in regard to changes uh, that are coming. Now, 
this uh, administration uh, in regard to marriage, uh, Joe Biden, our new president, championed with Barack Obama when he was president the redefining of marriage in 2015, okay? They pressed the Supreme Court to change the definition of marriage. And as some of you know, it was successful. They wanted uh, to include homosexual marriage uh, and, and make it legal and, and licensable and so forth and, and so on. And, you know, again, God has given people choice and, and, and so forth. But uh, this new administration wants to take it further. They want to go after groups, they've made this clear, they want to go after groups that refuse to celebrate that expansion of the definition of marriage. This is their statement. It is hateful to not recognize all marriage as equally valid. And they've announced a plan to go after organizations that refuse uh, to celebrate same-sex marriages. Now, this would include us as a church and, and it's not that I'm against a human being who has gender confusion please don't misunderstand me I'm not against a human being who's struggling with their identity okay counselors psychologists will, will tell you it's it's very real and needs to be treated with compassion and I'm all for treating it with compassion Jesus was compassionate the woman who was caught in adultery you know he said to the men you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And they all dropped their rocks and went home. Jesus said to the woman, he loved her, where are your accusers? She looked around, they were gone. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Now, now go your way and sin no more. The point is he didn't leave her in her confusion or her sin. He encouraged her there was hope and there was change. Go your way and send no word. We need to be moved with compassion. People with gender confusion need to be treated compassionately. But the point is they, they need to be treated, not promoted. And that's the thing that our culture is doing that is going to have huge consequences for your children and for your grandchildren. And that's why there's concern. There's no self-righteousness in this on my part. I, I realize that all have sinned. I, I, I realize that the, the, uh, the minds of unbelievers are blinded by the enemy. This is Satan's attack toward humanity. It's not just this administration. It's Satan's attack. But it's important for us to know what's happening. It's important for you to know how to lead your children. Because you're the one that God has given responsibility uh, to, to do that. So what they are deciding is those who don't celebrate the view. I don't know. What are they going to do? You know, take away my license to preach? Well, that's not going to stop me. Are they going to take away our tax-exempt status? I don't think God is poor. So I, I don't care what they do. What's important to know is we're not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and salvation. And, and people need to get right with God. But getting right with God helps them get right with themselves. So they understand who they are and who God made them to be. And, and, and that's the voice that God has given us in the world. And it's going to get difficult 
to share. Let me share one last one, and it has to do with abortion. And I, I get real nervous about sharing on this one because um, there are many ladies in our church that have had abortions. Those of you who are watching online, I know there's some of you. And I, I'm sorry that at that stage in your life, either you are pressured out of fear you are pressured, pressured maybe by a boyfriend or sometimes you're pressured by parents, which I, which I can't imagine. Pressured by parents because they don't want to deal with the shame of their daughter in high school being pregnant or whatever. But many of you were pressured to have an abortion. And now you live with that guilt. And, and I just want you to know, that's why Jesus died on the cross. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he took our shame to the cross. And I said this last service, and I'll say it again this service. There are many young women, when they get to heaven, they're going to meet their daughter. They're going to meet their son. Because those babies that are aborted, they're going right to the throne of heaven. Hallelujah. And, and, and I really believe, because they're human beings, when they meet their mom, they will recognize their mom. And I believe their mom will recognize them. There's hope because of heaven and because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so when I say this, I'm not trying to shame anyone and I hope you're not under the weight any longer. We have to learn how to trust God that he has forgiven us. But they've been very clear. This administration basically has said that a woman has the right to terminate the life of an unborn child for any reason during any time in the pregnancy. If you don't like the gender, you can get an abortion. If it's not a convenient time of your career and, and, and you need to be free from the wrongs, you, you can get an abortion if you don't want to be, uh, have the, the responsibility. Up until the time the child is in the birth canal. And I know you think I'm exaggerating, but during, during their, um, you know, campaign and being elected, uh, they were asked, what restrictions will you place on abortion? They said, none, regarding reason or regarding time. And now this uh, administration says those who don't celebrate that view are going to be condemned. Ba basically, they're going to try to put Pregnancy Hope Center and, and, and ministries like we support who, who want to help women with a difficult decision when they have an unplanned pregnancy. We want to help them believe that God has a plan. He has a future and a hope, not only for them, but for that child. And, and want them to learn how to trust God, and we try to help them. But I want to tell you, they're trying to take them out. They're, they're trying to eliminate all agencies that aren't a part of planned uh, parenthood, which, by the way, is not about planned parenthood. It's about abortion. And uh, it's just... Uh, I guess, I'm not trying to stir up a fight. And I'm not trying to say we're good and they're bad. I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm just trying to help you understand that there are changes that are coming. First Peter chapter four, verse 12 through 13. Uh, Peter says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There's more. I, mean, I could talk about more. What time is it? Uh, maybe you're done. I, I, I don't know. But uh, do you know that um, last week, no, I think it was a week before. Uh, let, let me do some explanation first. Um, 
there's concern about what's being communicated in the social media. I think we know that. Okay, there's a lot of concern. Of course, you know, uh, President Trump had, uh, he was the master Twitter guy, you know, and uh, they're concerned about hateful speech, concerned about things being stirred up in social media that, 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 that could be hateful. And so they're, they're filtering your social media. They're looking for things that you're writing, things that you're saying. You think you're free? Uh, you're not. Okay, they're looking for words that could stir up violence. Now, I don't imagine any of us are trying to do that very much. But you know, the people they're hiring to do that are people that have graduated in, in, in colleges in China who are trained with how to spot propaganda. Okay, so... So, so they're watching closely what, what we're saying. It's possible someday that what I'm saying won't be allowed on social media because it will be considered hate speech. It's possible that even the gospel of Jesus Christ one day will be determined as hate speech because we say there's salvation in no one else for there's no other name but Jesus under heaven by which we must be saved. And the consequences of rebellion against God for your lifetime is hell. Now that could be interpreted as hate speech and all the pastors and preachers that you love on media uh, could, could be canceled. Now, let me get back to what I started to say. About a week ago, there was a young representative uh, on the floor of the House of Representatives that proposed the idea of establishing a ministry of truth through the federal government. A ministry of truth through the federal government? Are you kidding me? Whose truth? I, you know, I, I know this is hard to talk about in church. I, I like to talk about loving Jesus. And I do love Jesus. But I think it's important for us to understand the times we live in. Uh, the, the scripture is filled with scriptures that prepare us uh, for the last day and then in time. So as we move forward, and I want to move forward. This isn't going to be the sermon every week. I'm not going to take up a political flag. And I'm not going to be on a political bandwagon. I felt like I needed to drop a line, draw a line and say clearly what I believe is happening in the world. And then we've got to move forward. We've got to follow Jesus in our own life. We've got to learn to share our faith. And that's always been the focus of this church. In order to go forward, we need to trust God's sovereignty. Number two, we need to pray. Number three, we need to prepare for changes that are coming. The last thing I'll mention is we need to be ready when Jesus comes back again. We need to be ready. So I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about it honestly in my heart. Do you love Jesus? And, and more deeply, now more deeply, are you in love with Jesus? See, I know there are a lot of Christians in America. I just don't know how many are in love with Jesus. I know a lot of hold to Christian values, but they're out buying ammunition at Sports Authority for their guns because of the time we're going through. They're not praying, seeking Jesus. And I'm nervous about that. That's not who Jesus called us to be. In the garden, when Peter grabbed his sword to defend Jesus, Jesus said, put away your sword. Shall I not take the pill, so to speak, that my father has asked me to take? And he allowed himself to be arrested. He went to the cross. 
and I'm not trying to suggest it's going to be easy going forward. There are going to be challenges. But I do want to ask you, if you call yourself a Christian, the test is really, are you in love with Jesus? Because Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. He's coming back for a bride. He loves his bride. The question, is his bride in love with him? Now, Daniel Henderson, gifted author, writer, Christian, uh, he, here, here's what he wrote. He said, too many Christians view their Christian lives as a luxury cruise. They are sailing on the way to heaven. Their ticket for the cruise uh, is their faith in Jesus Christ. And the church is their cruise ship. We got a pretty nice ship, don't you think? Yeah, nice lighting. The pastor is the captain. He is there to ensure a pleasant journey for those on the ship. The church staff are the ship's crew members. They're there to prepare the food, okay? To make it just right, to provide excellent music for you to enjoy, and to make sure the activities are perfect so that the trip can be acceptable and pleasurable for you. Now, all of you are about to throw up, and I, I don't blame you. But that's how a lot of people see. They're consumers of Christianity. They're not participants. They're not engaging. They're not really following Jesus or pursuing an in-love relationship. In-love relationship is a lot harder than, than just simply showing up in church. It has to do with your thought life, your devotion time, and, and just getting to know him. I can honestly say I'm as, I'm as or more in love with Jesus than I've ever been in my private life, my secret life, my devotional life, my home life, my church life. I'm as in love with Jesus as I've ever, and I'm hopeful for the church. I want to reach Generation Z and Generation Y, the millennials and X and a few boomers wouldn't, wouldn't mind meet, uh, reaching a few. I, I want to fulfill the mission. I believe the Holy Spirit Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing is impossible for him. I believe the church isn't a cruise ship. I believe it's a battleship. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And, you know, there's a, there's a storm out there. He wants us to search and rescue. He, he wants us to reach out, share Jesus, and love people. So... With that in mind, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on out. I wanted us to be able to sing another song that just had to do with worship uh, in response to what you are hearing uh, the Holy Spirit say. I, uh, last service, one of the ladies in the church uh, had a kind of a prophetic picture uh, during, during the worship time. And she came up to me and told me, I said, that's the third and fourth point of my sermon. You need to share that. So she shared it last Sunday. It was great. Uh, but um, she did write it down for me. So I, I want to share it with you. So she had this picture in her mind, a big house with, with children playing outside. Big, large front porch uh, with our Heavenly Father standing on it. He's watching. He's enjoying uh, watching us play. And then he says,
it's time to come home. And then he says, it's getting dark outside. It's time to come home where I can protect you. And then he says, I see you and I know you. And I'm calling you by your name to come into my house where you belong. And then he says, I see you standing behind the tree. You can't hide from me. I'm calling you by your name. Come home to me. And of course, she said it a lot better than I did. But I really do believe the Holy Spirit is calling us to come home to Jesus, and to recommit to Jesus, and, and to renew a first love, in love relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to stand here this morning. And um, maybe you're a person who is hiding behind the tree. Maybe that doesn't describe you exactly. I want to encourage you. It's time to come home. And if you're watching online, uh, we have uh, you know several people watching online. And, and I just want to encourage you. It's time to come home. It's time to move forward. I, I, I feel like this second service needs to be fuller with more families that are concerned about their children and about their faith in Jesus Christ. We want to help you. We want to support you. And we want to be able to support you as a family to, to walk with the Lord. So I encourage you to come. We've got room in this second service for you. First service, we haven't offered children's ministry because we'd just be too full. We've got about 150 that come now, and that's about all that we can allow here in the sanctuary. So we just don't have room. But we do this second service. Let me encourage you. It's time to come home. It's time to come to the Lord and, and to recommit, to rededicate and begin to grow. Because God has a mission and a ministry for every one of us. And so let me pray here this morning. Jesus, I want to thank you for calling us home today, Lord. I, I don't say these things to criticize any individual or any person. Lord, I just want to declare again that we're in a battle. That the enemy is out to rob, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, you came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Lord, I pray for every person watching and every person hearing. Lord, help us come home. Help us return to you. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for accepting us. And if you're saying, Jesus, I'm coming home today. If that's your heart, you need to know he's delighted in you. He's like that father watching us play, loving his children. He's excited about you coming home. And Lord, we want to thank you for that today. Thank you for inviting us home together. In Jesus' name we pray and we all say amen together. Let's declare this song again before we go. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. The darkness falls, it won't breathe. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. My God will never fail. I'm gonna see your victory. I'm gonna see your victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna 
Have a great week. Look forward to where the Lord will lead us next week. To-